Hello everyone, welcome back to Morgan Hasn't Seen. It's the final episode in Morgan Hasn't Seen's Vampire Season. There is one extra special main show on Friday to close out this gloriously bloodthirsty season that we have been on throughout October. But I'm very excited to end Morgan Hasn't Seen's strand of the vampiric tales with one of, admittedly, the most popular vampire movies of all time and a movie that you were staggered, Janine, that I had not seen. More than the rest of them, I think, that we've done. Yes, this was kind of a surprise. I mean, it's not as dark as I know your vibe to be when it comes to movies like this, but I still expected you to have seen this movie, just kind of the popularity of it. It's not incredibly modern or new. It's still fairly older. Um, So, yeah, I really thought this would be something you would have seen already, but I'm excited. I always like when we do kind of the big shocker ones, so. Yeah, (laughs) and and admittedly, this it is one of those kind of movies, really, isn't it? It is one of those kind of episodes that people will look at the title, realise which movie we are covering today, and go, wait, really? Yeah. I'm surprised, which um, is always nice. It feels nice. When yeah, we do but I mean, you're not, you're not really a huge kind of nostalgia junkie generally, so... Um, well, that's because these... I am not <laughs> an 80s child, you see. I, I might mean, have nostalgia for movies from about 2002 to 5. But I mean, even still, even if it didn't come out in your era, I think you could still grow up watching something. And these are kind of in the... This movie fits into that kind of Amblin vibe of kind of family-friendly horror with things like, you know, gremlins and stuff like that. So yeah. um, you you know, like those are the types of movies that people kind of have nostalgia for. And even if they didn't grow up in that time, I mean, yes, you're more prone to have nostalgia for those things, but those are things that your parents watched and they would, you know, ultimately potentially share with you. So this is, this, this is where we, we lie then, isn't it? And this is where we lie with an awful lot of these kind of movies that may come up on this show or ones that I may you know, enjoy from, say, you know, throughout the 80s primarily. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I perhaps don't have the certain primal connection to. Um, and I think it genuinely stems from the fact that I've told this story probably not for a long time, so people may be hearing it for the first time. But I taught myself to become a movie fan. <laughs> Yeah, You know, I wasn't guided, really. My parents enjoy watching movies. Uh, They still do. You know, I I can watch movies with them. It's fine, but it wasn't, you know, I didn't have a childhood where it was kind of, okay, let me show you this movie that I used to love. Let me show you this movie that I used to love. And it would be like that every week. There was, it wasn't anything like that. Ah, okay. So... I don't have, uh, you know, my similar to this movie that we're talking about today. You know, I don't necessarily have that connection to something like The Goonies. Yet I enjoy The Goonies. 
I watched The Goonies, I think, for the first time when I was about 13. Really did yeah. enjoy it, but just kind of don't don't kind of picture childhood or don't picture my own childhood when Anything I think like about it. Yeah, yeah, no, that that's fair. Um, you know, I had that kind of upbringing. Like, my family now is not really a huge kind of movie people. Um, but I remember, like, one of my favorite memories was my mom kind of sitting us all down and having these, like, late movie nights where she would let us stay up late and, you know, make us a little snack and we'd all kind of curl up with our snacks and drink and put on a movie. So I do have those nostalgic memories of watching particular movies with my family in, in those kind of scenarios. Um, or then, you know, kind of similar to you, I very much early on made myself a movie fan in terms of finding things that I enjoyed and seeking out movies and watching a lot of movies on my own. So those kind of tie into memories for me, just discovering how much I loved movies at a young age. And so, you know, watching movies for the first time and discovering things that I really liked about them. And um, so, you know, kind of created my own nostalgia in that. Right. So yeah, you know, I get that. it's different for everybody, but uh, yeah, this was just kind of a bigger film that you know I think adds to that list of Morgan hasn't seen that watch. So it, it, it de- look, it definitely <laughs> does because we are talking about the Lost Boys from 1987 <laughs> today, which is, like I said at the start, one of the one of the most popular vampire movies yeah. in history. I think also. Me taking this long to watch it stems from that famous Morgan mentality of everybody always tells you how great it is. Oh, it's, it means so much to me, this movie. Um, it's one of the best movies ever. So naturally, I don't watch it. Yes. Out of pure... Out of, out of just, just stubbornness, yes. Um, out out of pure stubbornness. <laughs> or just wanting to I, I enjoy nothing more which is a weird thing for me to come out with now on a show called morgan hasn't seen that we've done what 230 plus episodes of to say i enjoy finding movies on my own <laughs> i yeah. enjoy, i love that i yeah, love i know it's great researching and searching and just kind of discovering something on my own so when people tell me to watch a ridiculously popular, primarily 80s movie that they may have been uh, very fond of as a child or, or may have seen for the first time as a child, it has that certain hearty nostalgia for them. I am never going, it's never going to recapture that for me. So I'm thinking like, maybe it also comes from a point of, Movie psychology with Morgan here to start off this episode. Maybe it also comes from a point of me not wanting to then go back to this person who's saying how great this movie is. Um, I think E.T. also falls into this category. Yes, really I mean, well, for me... Well. For... <laughs> for and me, admittedly, movie... admittedly, E.T. actually was probably one of the few movies that my parents actually purposely watched with us ah. as young children. Okay. Yet well, because... even that movie still falls into this category for me of, it just doesn't feel like my childhood to me. 
Okay. I mean, for me, this movie is is nostalgic by association because I actually didn't watch this movie until uh, maybe like five or six years ago for the first time. Okay. Um, but because it came out in an era of other film and reminded me of other films that I did grow up with, it still kind of gives me a nostalgic feeling, you know? So if that is even a thing, nostalgia by association, that's kind of how I feel about I mean, this I kind of guess it is. <laughs> I guess this is why people like Stranger Things. Yes. Yet I've always been a fan of Stranger Things without having any of the nostalgia feeling that comes <laughs> with it for a lot of people. Um, which is often why I say that I, I, I don't find myself as gravitating towards it as much as, as so Other many people. others. Yeah. Um, it's an unusual kind of thing to think about, really, but a, a strange way to start this episode of <laughs> Morgan Hasn't Seen, because we are talking about The Lost Boys, a movie that I did very much enjoy. I get entirely why this is so well-loved. It fits into that mould of the era it came out so, so well, because it's kind of... Everybody behind the making of the movie, you know, it's exec produced by Richard Donner. It's yeah. directed by Joel Schumacher. It's starring one of the Goonies. And the Corys, who are very just in general popular. And both, both Corys. Yeah. Um, I think, was it both Corys' first movie together, actually? I want to say, I feel yeah. like it was. And and they met on the set, Corey Haim and Corey Feldman on uh, met met on the Lost Boys, and then went on to make a, a handful of movies together. Yeah. Um, but it has that you know it's the closest a a horror movie gets to being a Brat Pack movie of that mid eighties kind of teenage uh, teenage movie attitude, teenage movie vibe. Yeah, um, maybe Schumacher's got something to do with that as well because he all he of course makes one of the most notable Brat Pack movies with Saint Elmo's Fire. Yeah, um, so maybe he's bringing his own style, his own tendencies, imparting them on the Lost Boys, which he very clearly does. But it, that carryover makes it feel that certain way because it really does. It's not necessarily got any Brat Pack members in it. I think maybe Brat Pack adjacent again, if we're going for that, with a Kiefer Sutherland, a Jason Patrick, things like that, that came a couple of years later yeah. than really the, the, the kind of core members. But it still has that feeling to it, and I think that is the most notable thing takeaway i have from the lost boys is that it just it, it fits its era so well people can call it a timeless movie i know i've heard people on you know i've even seen people on on twitter on social media from when i posted out that i was watching this movie come back to me and say oh it's a timeless classic is it or is it an 80s classic is it timeless I understand the, the attitude where people can watch it 
in any time and could can watch it for years well, to come. Considering I get that, it, but it feels so of its time, and I enjoy that about it. I love that about it. But it I feels think, right. I think at its core, it, a movie can be timeless if its story can be told in kind of any era. I think that's what yeah. adds to the timelessness of of a of a story and a movie. Um, and I think this movie does that. I think you can put this story in any time, and you're still going to get the same vibes you're still going to get the same fun you're still going to get the same kind of horror elements about it um and you know think of kind of the spiritual um inspiration for it with something like a peter pan that is a story that has lasted and been retold and retold and retold um and you know put it in kind of that category so i think when people i think when people do make that point of it being timeless, I think I think that's a fair point to make. Maybe that's more of a, a story point as opposed to a, a visual point. Visual, yes, because we do get a, quite a few very strong '80s visuals. Um, I did tease to you that uh, you know uh, <laughs> we were going to get another Saxman. Uh, I was very much gushing over uh, John Saxon's appearance in, in From Dust Till Dawn, and and mentioned how he is known in in certain uh, circles as the Saxman. So I did tease to you that <laughs> we were going to be getting another Saxman, uh, which definitely plays yeah. into the '80s visuals with a, a, a certain performance that we do see in the film um yes, right at the beginning of the movie it yeah, is oiled up, <laughs> ponytail concert yes he's really he's into it on. yeah he's really getting everyone excited you know playing that saxophone he is he, he's he's hyped up you know yeah he's, it's it, it, it screams Joel Schumacher, though, doesn't it? So yes, uh, yes, very much. It, it was giving uh, bat butts and bat nibbles for sure. Yeah. Um, but also, just nothing I wrong love... with you. You pop off, Joel. Yes, you know... but I love that. Like, there's also this acknowledgement of what people would think of it because as soon as we see this guy, we kind of let out this chuckle at like, what is this silly thing happening? And we pan to jason patrick and uh cory haim and they kind of look at each other like this is kind of weird and laugh with each other and they literally before we can even finish our reaction the camera pans to them and they are our characters are having the same reaction we are to this so i like that there's this kind of awareness that this is a little much a little intense but you know uh, we're going with it and our characters are kind of like okay <laughs> you know i think i think that is something that joel schumacher was able to put into his movies was that kind of just like he takes his movies seriously but he he does want to have fun with them and yeah. i think it is i i I'll, I'll always say that it's it's a shame how messy the productions of his two batman movies got because if he was able to actually go full properly just creatively joel schumacher with them and not try and adhere to to warner brothers and not try and adhere to children and toys and all this kind of stuff if he was actually able to make two joel schumacher batman movies they would be deeply weird in the complete opposite way to what Burton's two were. Yes, because I mean... In such a 
they would be gr- they would be known as great movies, and they're yeah. not now, are they? And he and we know he's capable of this balance of kind of uh, realistic comedy and and dark concepts and themes. Uh, you know, it's I, perfect I rem- in this. I movie. remember sharing with you his movie Falling Down, which is a really yeah. great real life grounded you know the comedy that happens in this movie is very real it's coming from real things it's not somebody telling jokes or you know having quippy one-liners it's very much natural and organic from you know how our character is acting in the movie but he's also this very dark um cynical uh kind of on a on a mission of of somewhat kind of uh disgruntled madness in a way so we have seen him being able to kind of tackle darker themes and characters while also balancing a lighter kind of comedic tone in moments so yeah yeah, he 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 definitely could have put that into a batman movie had he had free reign and and not be even beholden to all these kind of silly studio um requests i think that 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 mix is something that Joel Schumacher can do very very well, and, and he does, does really it. well in this movie. So perfectly in this movie. I mean, let's not forget as well, completely non-comedically, but just how great he was as a as a kind of intense drama thriller director with a time to kill. Yeah, like how has he made that movie? I know how he's made that movie. We covered that movie on this show. It's a wonderful movie. It is not comedic in any sort of way. It is not tongue-in-cheek in any sort of way, like a lot of Schumacher movies are. Um, But that showed his skill as drama, as, as a dramatic thriller kind of intense director that he shows with The Lost Boys as well. It's just such a great blend of the things he is great at, great at. As yes a visual and he, filmmaker yes. i and really he was, really enjoy it for that yes and he was a bit kind of held back in terms of really getting into the horror aspects of what the movie could have been um but he still managed it really well um i know i i think i remember seeing an interview with Kiefer sutherland where he talked about um a scene where i think it's the scene where they're with Michael and they're trying to get him to, you know, kill for the first time. And they're killing a bunch of people at this bonfire. And it's like all of this intense imagery. And there was meant to be a scene of Kiefer Sutherland, like taking somebody's head, like brain, like the top of their head off and eating their brains. And kind of the note he was given was to eat the brains, like a child eating cake. And so he did this scene, he did it, they filmed it. But ultimately, it ended up being cut. You can see little bits of it in these flashes of chaos that's happening in this scene. Um, but they ultimately cut it, I think, to kind of lean into that um, more uh, family-friendly kind of light horror vibe. But you still get a lot of the dark horror elements. Like, our vampires look very scary. They're intense. Even this scene in general, the chaos of the killing and Michael's reaction to it um, and seeing kind of his horror at what they're doing. Um, plays into kind of the scare factor and the horror aspects really well um so even though he and he did kind of play up the comedy with um 
you know, the frog brothers and those kinds of things and, and kids, you know, trying to fight, trying to fight monsters very much in a, a Spielberg feeling way. So I think he so worked dry, with, though, isn't it? yes, he worked with those elements of dealing with kind of killer vampires and trying to make them scary while, and cool while also kind of having these kid characters who would be kind of silly and fumbly and bumbly and comedic in trying to deal with this bigger threat. So I think he balanced those aspects really well. Yeah, the, I mean, those elements, there's a lot of elements to love about The Lost Boys. I think those two are my favourite takeaways from this movie, to be honest. The the visual style of the vampires. I mean, if you look at, at the differences in visual vampire style throughout, let's just say, the, the four Morgan hasn't seen movies we've done, these guys might be the best looking vampires. Yeah, they're attractive, they're cool. And then no, I don't they... even mean just the fact that, that they are handsome gentlemen for the most but part. No, I mean, even the, the transformation, they still look attractive, but terrifying. Like, I know we talked about in other vampire movies that we've covered in this series um, about, you know, some of them doing the transformation stuff a little too harsh. And I think we both agreed that we like a little more subtle look to kind yeah. of the, the intensity when the vampire really shows his true self. Um, or and, and just make them look purely like Barlow from Salem's Law, where yeah. that's just like, and they never look any different. Exactly. So I think this was a really good mix of kind of these beautiful faces. And then when they do turn, I think it, it's scary enough but it's not overdoing it. Um, but it's doing enough to play into the horror aspects of, of what the movie's trying to do. It, it, it weirdly reminds me, actually, of... And this this is a strange thing to say, but does it not remind you of the transformation um, of William Marshall in Blackula? And hear me out on this one, because all they really do to the vampires in The Lost Boys is put contacts in, have their cheeks kind of latexed up a little bit, and fangs. Yes, and the, and the and fangs are really, kind of really prominent. Yeah. If William Marshall didn't have that weird hairy Hair. face that he gets yeah. when he turns into a vampire in Blackula, it would be exactly the same. Yeah. Little contacts, fangs, and just latexed yeah, up cheekbones. Yeah. It's a great subtle visual look of a vampire i really really like the 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 aesthetic of the vampires in this movie i think it it was arguably something that near dark last week was missing a little bit of is that when they actually because they were all they're always vampires but there was never really a change a, between a change, what they yeah. looked they like during the, the day and what they looked like when they were feeding yeah. There wasn't yeah. really a change there. I suppose that adds to the threat and the, danger of that movie. You never, yeah. you know, you're always under threat, really. I suppose that's a central Without core element. It, yeah. In the dark, you are always in danger, which isn't necessarily the case with the Lost Boys. You know, you're only really in danger, or we at least feel that, you know, Michael and, and Sam, Jason Patrick and Corey Haim in this movie are only really in danger when they've been lured in. They're not yeah. necessarily in danger in their everyday lives. I think Near Dark was totally the opposite. 
you know, Caleb in that movie is constantly under threat by yeah. the group of vampires. Um, so in, in a way, I think that's, you know, the vampires changing is is done better in, in The Lost Boys than it was last week. And I bring up Near Dark last week because, as, as we said last week, they kind of, because they both came out in the same year, they kind of have this unspoken rivalry. Yeah. Um, of this this movie being infinitely kind of more popular and more successful and yeah, near dark. More mainstream. Being yeah. actually better. Um, no matter more, more your vibe, I'd say. <laughs> maybe more my vibe. It's certainly nastier. It's certainly more yeah. kind of intense. Gritty. I think. And definitely grimy, definitely dirty. Yeah, dusty. Um, yeah. And dusty. And maybe it is maybe it is more my vibe, but maybe that's purely for the fact that it's it felt like it was allowed to go to the extremes it wanted to. And yeah. maybe, maybe, as you've just said, with this whole cutting out the brain eating situation. Maybe the Lost Boys was forced to adhere to a, a bit of a wider, more main, yeah, a more mainstream. Kind you of can't, you, you can't fault it for doing that. You know, I said before that Richard Donner is, you know, exec produced this movie. He's obviously, you know, behind the Goonies. He is the director of the Goonies. He's known for wide movies. Is he's known for big kind of everybody can watch the movies yeah. for the most part <laughs> superman goonies yeah. you know for the most part in his more notable movies um and it does have that kind of feel to it definitely darker definitely more horror and there is there is a threat to the lost boys but the the description I would use about, you know, to describe this movie, first and foremost, is just cool. Because it comes across like just a slick, cool movie. Visually, uh, kind of attitude-wise, everything about it kind of oozes a real smoothness. Yeah. 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 Um, Maybe it's taken me a day or so since I watched it to this recording now to kind of get over that it's not a nasty little gory, horrible thing like Near Dark was. And it <laughs> yeah. wasn't it wasn't wanting to be that. No. It was it, wanting to be what it is. It was wanting to have that a bit of mainstream balance. Um so so definitely a different thing. And that's probably why it kind of overshadowed um near dark um but just to maybe get into a little bit of the story we open with um a mom and her two sons moving to this california town uh santa carla which is kind of a play on you know santa clara and the boardwalk town um yeah. and we do get this really interesting setup of what this town is like we learn that it's like the murder capital <laughs> um uh we 
they're playing you know that strange song at the beginning we're kind of panning around and seeing all these weird yes, people so you know um and we're really setting up the vibe and tone so how did you feel about kind of what this movie was giving you right from the start yeah i mean well let's speak about the soundtrack of the movie actually. yes it is it's purely a soundtrack yes i well. think people, no... people absolutely love this soundtrack it's a wonderful soundtrack there's no like score that i can necessarily remember to it but it, it seems to be purely a soundtrack movie and when movies are purely soundtrack movies you best hope it's a good soundtrack that fits yeah. the tone of the movie and that doesn't take you out of it necessarily even when you've got very obviously famous songs in there like a couple of the ones in the lost boys yeah are. yet it does really seem to always fit to start off with this people are strange song that i don't even yeah. know the name of but you know you know the song it has that kind of plodding beat to it yeah. It's just like, okay, we're here and we're looking around and who are all these people? They are very strange. Look at them. We, we were told this was a nice place. It's not, is it? Oh dear, what's going on here? It immediately gives you that and the music adds to that attitude. Yeah, and it, and it has this kind of uh, Jaws Amity feel of like that big billboard selling Ooh. this greatness while there's yeah. dark lying underneath and when you kind of go to the other side of that billboard you see like murder capital <laughs> you know yeah and, and, and the idea of a, of a boardwalk kind of amusement park area as well is enticing you know it's exciting let's go and have fun but then you take a closer look at all the people that are in that are in the boardwalk there's kind of bonfires going around there's the weird sax man playing his concert. yeah but even we oh when we first meet our lost boys our vampires we see them you know that we learn that this is kind of their stomping ground and this is their haunt that they like you know you know are always at um and we see them kind of stalking some girls on the carousel so we're already yeah. getting a sense of that this is this is their area this is where they kind of dominate and we see them in action um and we get into some really interesting you know again mentioning all of the interesting kind of uh lore changes and and vampire abilities that we have seen throughout this series has been really fun for me so we get a, a, a new kind of power set here with these vampires you know we have our typical usual things um, but we set up some new rules for them. And I think those are really set up well. Also, um, you know, we get these really interesting POV flying shots of them kind of diving yeah. down to attack, which I think was a smart way to show these kills, kills and attacks while, you know, keeping that kind of family-friendly mainstream feel. So you're getting the sense of that terror while and we're still learning what's happening we're still learning what these things are so we're not seeing that we're seeing this pov flying down diving down and attacking so i liked those visuals i thought that was a really smart way to show how these things operate without giving us too much right at the beginning um so those were some smart things showing that they can fly all these visuals of them in the clouds all these zoom images of them flying into kind of their hideaway cave um 
uh, I think was, was really well done. And then of course, getting back to the soundtrack, the cry little sister kind of recurring theme, you know, you equate that with that shot of them kind of just flying through the sky and the freedom of that. And um, very much the flying also giving you these Peter Pan vibes as well with the lost boys and making that, making that um, um, comparison yet again. Um, So yeah. child chorus that you get as well that recurs it does have this almost ethereal sense to it where it is very freeing it does feel like freedom for these vampires and it constantly does bring up when i think our our group of vampires is feeling somewhat powerful yeah um this this keeps coming back in the soundtrack and it's an interesting idea, really, because I suppose our vampires here, they they aren't necessarily... I mean, they are evil. They are evil. But they're not kind of... They're just existing in this place, and they're happy to just exist in this place. They're not necessarily trying to take over... They're not necessarily trying to rule the world or any of this kind of thing, invade that we've seen, act as parasites that we've seen, and they're certainly far away from the kind of things we've been dealing with in a couple of the main show episodes, which is, you know, they don't consider themselves sick or afflicted with vampirism at all. They love the fact they're vampires. They are teenage boys living without consequence. Purely. Yeah, and that is that is fundamentally what is, is going on here. But they really find themselves almost needing a maybe a leader figure which yeah. is a little bit peter pan like as well isn't it you think yeah. of the you know the lost boys being there in neverland just existing are they are they dead are they ghosts whatever theories you want about peter pan um i suppose the vampires probably are or they're undead at least aren't they so it's probably a bit more direct in that way yeah. <laughs> but they need that they don't have their yeah i mean they have this pseudo leader in david but he's just as wild and irresponsible as the rest of them yeah Um, but he's just like him from his name from hulk the big the the main lost boy rufio he's just like him right yeah yeah you could liken this to hulk did spielberg i'm wondering if spielberg (laughs) watched the lost boys and goes hold on a minute phones up richard donner and schumacher and goes that that was Peter Pan, right? Yeah, it was. It was Stephen. It, it was, was kind yeah. of. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to make my Peter Pan movie now. Then. I mean, okay. perhaps I think there was a, sure. a very tight knit vibe between between all of those people involved in this. Um, but yeah, I mean, so the goal kind of is to find this leader, um, and, and to kind of grow their pack a little bit, and that's when they and they wanted Michael. To be Patrick. Yes, they want it to be Michael. Um, I learned that Jason Patrick was only 18 when he was making this movie as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He looks older than that. He, he does. acts older than that. 
Yeah, because I mean, I always liked that it felt like there was this kind of big age gap between him and and Corey Haynes' character Sam. Um, yet they really had this great relationship. Like you think that the gap would be wide enough to where he definitely doesn't want to be hanging around his little brother, and like there would be more of an antagonistic vibe between the two of them. But they are really close, and they get along really well. And especially when all of these afflictions start happening to Michael when, you know, he is, you know, partially transformed, which we'll get into as that's kind of more vampire lore and rules that, that we get in this one. Um, they get even closer, you know, from that and they really work together. And, and I loved the relationship between the two of them because you don't expect that, you know, this depiction of brothers with this kind of big age gap, um, is is always kind of depicted as you know i don't want my little brother around he's annoying um so the fact yeah. that they are very tight-knit i mean i guess we also see that in the goonies as well with um you know josh brolin and sean astin's character, characters as you know they do still kind of start with the, the little bit of the antagonistic vibes as brothers have but they do get very close in it in a lot of moments it's very um, similar actually uh, a brotherly dynamic between yes. those two very very similar similar yeah um, and i do and i like the relationship with the mom as well when you know michael is starting to feel really sick from what's happening to him and he's out all night and he comes home and his mom's just waiting for him on the porch and she just says you know like are we friends are we still friends and he's like yes and you're like you know so let's be friends and talk and she just really has this open relationship with them and the fact that she can relate to them and call her kids her friends and not have it be like icky and weird and like oh mom you know yeah like like and she's just really open to listening to whatever he has to say um i i loved that vibe between you know her and her kids i think diane weist is really was really great um as, as this mom like really kind of you know newly divorced moving to this town to live with her dad um crazy taxidermist grandpa uh, <laughs> who is who is deeply crazy? Yes, I mean he's wonderfully so. He is a bizarre, bizarre man who seems to just play kind of sick jokes on his family. Yes, and he also is like a great source of comedic relief as well. When they're like in his his fancy old car that he doesn't like to drive, he's like, "Okay, let's go to town." And then he starts the car, and then he's like, gets out of the car, and like. Corey Haynes like, I thought we were going to town. Uh, that's about as close to town as I like to get. <laughs> and he's always like going down the road to hook up with the old widow. He's, 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 a, he's yeah. a weirdo. He's, yes. a, he's a lovable weirdo. Yes, but no, he just you, you are right. Great moments. And um, yeah, so I loved the, the, the relationship between this family. I was making a TikTok about underrated horror actors. And I was doing one about John Gallagher Jr., who you know, we know him from Hush and, and 10 Cloverfield okay. Lane. And, um, and I was watching, I was kind of putting interviews from him in my, in my TikTok. And I saw this really great interview of him talking about why he loves horror movies, because, you know, with this elevated kind of storylines, um, what makes them really special is, um, you know, the beating heart of the characters and, and really, you know, focusing on these real feeling people and the emotions that you get from these people in this kind of elevated situation. Uh, and so I was thinking about that when I was watching this and like really focusing on the characters and the dynamics and, and, um, 
the fact that you know these characters aren't just you know fodder for a bigger story they're really the heart and you care about them and he does a really good job of of you know giving them little moments to to really endear you to them and really make them feel real even though it's kind of this fantastical situation um so so i liked kind of that um smaller feel of characters in this bigger picture of of kind of fantastical stuff happening yeah and it it is it is very much diane weist that acts as that beating heart I yeah through the movie because she is the most kind of genuine character in the movie she just wants a new and kind of calm life yeah. for her her children post divorce but recognizes how tough that is recognizes all this great big change that's going on but never ever ever kind of gets mad with them or or gets kind of upset or angry with michael for kind of going off all night without any explanation she is deeply deeply understanding and always just very wholesome i think even with her new romance that ends yeah. up going somewhere, with with max played by edward herman yeah who obviously this is another element that's going to not maybe sit too well with her children yes <laughs> i mean again doesn't. i asked you yeah <laughs> But she doesn't get angry at them. She still understands that, yeah, this is going to be difficult. Yeah, this is an adjustment period for them. And I I love that it feels like she really knows her boys. She really knows them and understands them. Um, So, yeah, just another case of me asking, knowing that you weren't someone who looks too far ahead while watching something. Were you on to Max at any point in the film, even when our characters were suspecting him? Uh, were you and and this is also kind of an interesting lore and and vampire rules adjustment happening in this film with Max uh, as well. I mean, kind of it's a strange situation because no, I don't necessarily think you know I don't think like that. So when Max shows up, do I think he's going to end up being what equates to head vampire of? Santa Carla. No, no, I don't think that. But then I'm told he is that by our two vampire hunters yeah. <laughs> in the movie. The Frog Brothers, Corey yeah. Feldman, and what's the other fella's name? Um, Jameson Newlander. Yeah. Who are ridiculous characters, really. Yeah. Very dryly ridiculous. Very funny. Take themselves so seriously. I mean, Corey Feldman's dressed like Rambo. Yeah. It's it's extreme. And they insist to Corey Haim, right from the first time they meet him, that you need to read this vampire comic book. Yeah, read they are it. like fully oh. aware that vampires are have taken over Santa Carla. Yeah. You know, they the, the, run rampant and yeah they're fully they are just there they are just there to to kind of 
to take themselves seriously and to supposedly help in the fight against vampires, but do they really do anything? No, they just kind of speak about doing things. Yes, and and, and they they very much are knowledgeable, so they can they they give a lot of information in terms of you know what to do in these situations. So that's why I really like the Max scene because it's very much them feeling like this monster squad, reading these comics and educating themselves in that way and, and doing all these tests, um, and then ultimately really kind of turning the rules on its head for us because we're just like them thinking that these are all things that equate to how to defeat vampires and so when it doesn't work we're kind of wondering you know what's going on with that as well um so i like kind of the monster squad vibe of them really learning everything they need to know from like comic books yeah so you asked that question of do i recognize max as the lead vampire before it is actually revealed that he is the lead vampire the answer has to be yes but not from me from the fact that Corey feldman told me he was well but then after that is dispelled for them no because you... i still believe it because i actually as as, as useless as i think Corey feldman and jameson <laughs> newlander of the frog brothers are in this edgar movie, and alan it, i believe are their edgar names. and alan wonder oh, i mean oh, why would i not love them with those names yeah but as as useless in action as i actually think they are they constantly are shown to be the most knowledgeable people about vampires in the entire movie whether you know, whether their ideas get dispelled or not, as pure vampire lorists, they are knowledgeable. So as soon as he tells me that he's the lead vampire, I, I don't, that's as far as I'm concerned, that is the situation. Yes. And so kind of a change up to a typical rule with vampires that we know is that, you know, um, yes, you have to invite them in, but even yes, that, still. And as soon even, as he did that as well. As soon as he said yes, that, I was I like, won't come in until you invite me. Yeah. Just make it obvious. Make it obvious. Yeah. Especially um, given that Michael at that point has already been in touch with the vampires and has already half changed. Yes. So, I mean, that is definitely a huge giveaway, but I think they feel like they don't do enough after that point to dispel all those kind of other things. He can see his reflection. Garlic is not affecting him. They spill holy water on him and it doesn't do anything, which we learn later. Once you invite him in, it renders kind of all of those protections, you know, powerless. So that's what made it so that he was not affected by those things because he was now welcomed in. And yeah. so thus those things don't work after you've welcomed them in. So this was kind of a, a twist upon particular it, things that we tend to think about in terms of vampires. It, how to it was, them. yes, but I, I, I was still believing he was that. Okay. Because, well, even the whole because, thing. Purely because throughout the entirety of vampire season that we've been doing not one of these movies has had every single little element of vampire lore in it not one of them yeah so they've, they've why all... would i all of a sudden yeah. assume that the lost boys needs to have every single little element of vampire lore in it for it to actually be a vampire no he's the vampire 
Okay, okay. Yes, because, yeah, we've seen a change-up on the lore in, I think, every film we've watched. In every so, Yes, so the rules are all constantly changing. So while Garlic and all of those things work on the other vampires, it's because they kind of were not invited in. Um, but because he was, that kind of changes things up for him. But also the fact, you know, I think before even this dinner, they're kind of laying out all these different reasons why it could be him. Um, the fact that he only works at his store at night um, when, you know, the mother kind of, you know, the boys are having this chaotic situation at home as Michael is like turning and floating around and can't control himself and, you know, fighting the urge to like go and bite Sam and Sam is freaking out, calls the mom, gets her in a panic in enough panic to leave her date. She decides to go to Max's and bring him like a bottle of wine to, you know, apologize for missing the date. And his dog, Thorn, proceeds to attack her and is very much yeah. kind of like this vampire's familiar that protects them while they sleep. You know, very much like, you know, what we saw in Fright Night where, um, you know, yes. our vampire had his guy around to protect him while, you know, he slept. Um, yeah. So, so uh, another interesting vampire lore thing that we haven't seen yet in, in no in we haven't so far but i don't even think we'd seen i don't think we'd seen the idea of being invited in yet either yeah that's true um which is is a part of vampire mythos as well so it's, yeah it's, it's it's great how you know on both shows we've now done what seven vampire movies on both shows um and we've obviously got you know this coming friday's big finale as well yeah. that also doesn't have some of the elements in as 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 fundamental and kind of pure as as yeah the movies we're talking the, about the, on friday are the little only common thread has been the drinking of blood is <laughs> literally the, has, only, right? the only through line in Kinda all of these has. stories um but yeah i mean then the whole thing with michael he kind of sees star who is running with the lost boys crew um and he's attracted to her and there's this connection between the two of them immediately and so that's kind of what pulls him in to joining their crew and then we get another bit of vampire ability as well he kind of goes back to their their little hideout um with them and you know they're eating chinese food and they're able to have this ability to kind of put these images in michael's head so he's eating yeah. rice and then they make the ra the rice look like maggots. But I love the layers of this so that when they ultimately get him to drink the blood, he's not believing that it's blood. So yeah. I like kind of this trick that they it's do clever. to him. Yeah. So, you know, he thinks he's eating rice and he and then David is able to make the rice look like maggots and freak him out. And then when he looks at it again, it's rice. And then he's eating noodles and then it's worms. And then he looks at it and no, they're actually noodles. Um, Hallucination, the, to be fair, yes. has been has been a fair constant in vampire season. Yes, yes. And so then, you know, he gives him a bottle of what he thinks is wine at this point. And Star even tells him, no, don't drink it, it's blood. But at this point, he, he's been tricked twice. He's not going to be tricked again. So he believes it's wine, it drinks it. And so in this kind of version of the lore, you can drink a vampire's blood, but you 
and you can gain all the abilities that vampires have. But if you don't actually make your first kill and feed, um, you'll get or continue to drink vampires' blood, you will get sick. So you have to kind of make that full transition. Um, so you're not fully affected. Like you can still go out in the sun. It, it hurts and it's uncomfortable, but you can be in the sun. Um, and other vampire things will kind of affect you, but not to the degree of a full-blown vampire. So another interesting kind of play on the typical vampire things with this. So Star is in that camp of drinking vampire's blood, but still has not made her first kill. There's also a little boy that they change. And also kind of these really interesting visual cues, like we put down a milk carton, we actually see the little boy Laddie, who's with the crew on the back of the milk carton, kind of, you know, already playing into he's this missing boy but we know where he is <laughs> you know yeah, kind of yeah. thing so so some really interesting lore changes and interesting things that they do once we see michael kind of running with that crew we do yeah but here are a few elements that are noticeably similar to near dark i think the romantic relationship between jason patrick and, and and jamie gertz um very similar really to caleb and, and yeah. in near dark um because really they're the two people in this group of vampires who don't really want to be in this group of vampires um and end up not being in this group of vampires right okay. yeah and kind of yes and this she's kind of meant to uh you know dispatch of him if he doesn't you know fit in with the group but she ultimately can't bring herself to do that because there are feelings involved which is exactly like, what yeah. was supposed to happen last week with may in near dark as well it's the same thing yeah. it's the same romantic idea a yeah. uh, romantic plot idea it, it, the exact same and also, I was going to bring up something else now, but I've forgotten about something else that was very similar feeling to Nia Dark. The, the idea of being not fully, not fully transformed until you've made your first kill and get ill about it. Yeah. Get sick. It's the yeah. exact same. You get sick. In mm -hmm. Nia Dark. Yeah. Elements I really did enjoy and, and enjoyed in, in this movie as well, although I don't think they were dealt with as delightfully nastily as they were in near dark um, that's just my particular fondness for nastiness <laughs> when it comes to yes, certain yes. styles of horror movies but no I, I i can't say that i i'm you know i'm not sitting here telling you i didn't like the lost boys i'm sitting here telling you that this is a just delightful movie um you, you can I, I get everyone's fondness for this movie i am now yeah very fond of this movie in all in all its aspects in visually musically attitude story-wise it's somewhat typical but it has at least interesting little different elements within it that help to differentiate but help to kind of leave a a, a positive impression i think on 
you're watching it. You don't feel yeah. like it's yeah. something you've seen before. You feel like it's something different. You feel like it's something unique. And it is something different, and it is something unique. It just has fundamental um, kind of... I don't want to keep using this word. It's such a terrible descriptor, but fundamental vibes <laughs> that you recognize from this particular era of teen movies, which it is. So you can't yes. help and, and I mean, enjoy we've that. talked about all the things. Yeah. And I mean, we've talked about all the things that feel very similar to Near Dark in terms of story beats, but it's done very differently and handled in a different way and it doesn't feel like it's doing it in, in exactly the same way, even if it's the same kind of thing. Um, so, so I like that these films can have very similar plot points, but feel very different. Um, and so, you know, I love this movie for just, yeah, the look of it, the music of it, the vibes of it, again, to say vibes. Um, I, I love the character. I hate, I hate and, using and the word. It very... just fits so well. <laughs> yes. It's such an um, like I, I love a lot of the time. Yeah. But. Yes. I want to be able to spontaneously think of better words. Yeah. I really do. But I mean, I love all the characters in this movie. I love the journey of Michael kind of, you know, delving into this wanting to, you know, being a, uh, um, enticed by the freedom of these characters um, and, you know, ultimately kind of relishing in it with them for a little bit before he realizes just how dark this world is and kind of has that yeah. moral compass like Caleb in Near Dark and, and and decides that that's just too far for him. And he also has his brother there as kind of this moral compass to kind of keep him, um, you know, to not go that far as well. Um, and then we kind of uh, end with our big kind of uh, monster fight montage. We actually have uh michael and um sam and the frog brothers going into the cave at daytime because there's there yeah. once max has failed all the tests now they just kind of are assuming david is is the leader and that's who they have to kill um so they go into their cave while they're sleeping and go to kill david but they ultimately end up stabbing one of the other vampires which covers them in like a glitter blood <laughs> so jules i mean again um, wondering pop off the glitter blood yes right um so you know it's come from you know it's come from jules schumacher yes i love i always love I love his gay coding in, in his films for sure. So yes, the, the glitter blood that happens. Um, but then ultimately, you know, so now we know, okay, we've killed one of their guys. They're As soon as night falls, they're going to be coming for us. So I love kind of this arming up scene that happens at the end, you know, them, you know, mashing up garlic and getting holy water and, and, and kind of getting all prepared for this big battle coming to them. Um, which is just really fun and plays into kind of those monster squad goonies, uh, you know, kids fighting monsters vibes, which is just really fun um, to yeah. see. So, so didn't it, monsters, it leads to a really fun big, big finale. Didn't monster squad also come out 1987? I think what it is it about? Did. What is it about 1987? That's just children fighting. Oh, what is it monsters, about this time? Yeah. 
that's just children fighting evil. Do we get children <laughs> fighting evil movies anymore? Not of this style. Not of this. No. Not of this type. You get you get some animated children fighting evil movies, but you certainly don't get live action children fighting evil movies. No, like I think did. that's, and I think that's why Strangers, the Stranger Things, is, is such a vibe too, because you know it's doing just yes, that. Um, I cannot end this episode Very without true. just talking about how incredibly attractive I think Jason Patrick is in this movie. Like, even though I, he's eighteen, yeah, he's eighteen. I, I, I was 18. <laughs> he's eighteen. It's fine. <laughs> I just, I, 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 he is very attractive in this movie. Um, I, I I have to say fair enough. I have to say fair enough. Yes. I do. So I just had to mention that. Like I don't know. I watch this movie and I'm just like, oh my gosh, he's just like, he's so beautiful. Like he can't can't not. Probably why Schumacher wanted him. Yes. Yes. Not saying anything there, Joel. Sorry, he's, he's, I can't. Very, I can't. Horrible to Joel Schumacher. Very. He was very cute. Very cute. I imagine Joel Schumacher probably did insist on having in fact I, I think he did i think he was like if i didn't get jason i knew jason patrick he was very up and coming he was very fresh but i didn't have any other choice he was if great it jason yes patrick, it was no one yes and and you know and I, could, he, I think he did a great job so and he yeah. definitely played a, a good kind of uh opposite to Kiefer sutherland like i loved their kind of dynamic yes. kind of and against I mean, each other Kiefer. Kiefer in this movie, he seems he's 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 kind of so well known for this movie, yeah. Right, um, like probably the most known thing that Kiefer Sutherland or oh, is known for. That's a terrible yeah. phrasing of that sentence, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. If not, you know, twenty four, but that's TV. Yeah. Um. But, like, he, he's not, he doesn't do a lot in the movie. And j let me finish my point here, but he does a great deal without doing a lot. He doesn't seem to speak an awful lot. He's not got too many lines. He's just a presence. Yes, he's got great presence in this, for sure. He, he, but he has a presence when he's off screen as well. You're thinking about him. You know he's there. There is a threat element. Yeah, and it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be wrong for them to assume that he was the leader, you know. Certainly after, not. After ruling out Max. Certainly not. But, you know, when he does kind of speak, he does just seem to relish the words that he's saying and he has a great voice I, he has a great does, i think you know i really do think mesmerizing voice and he can he can really make it mean and rough but he can also make it kind of calm and and kind of hypnotizing at the same time so he he's, he's really great the tone of his voice changes in such fluid and interesting ways where it can be very kind of romanticizing and hypnotizing but then also get very mean and harsh and uh you know intense and he, he you know and he, he needs to do that with the dialogue he's given with the lines he's given because there's not too many of them, yeah. so they need to have that impact, and they do. And they do. Yeah, yeah. I think that that voice, you know, 
call him a nepo baby if you want, but the voice and the the style does come from, as we'll call him, Daddy Sutherland. Um, should we call him Daddy <laughs> Sutherland? Or should we call him that? Depends what you think of Donald Sutherland. Donnie Sutherland. Um, but no, like, I mean, he talks about them not really having the best relationship. So, um, does he yeah. not like? Does he not like uh, Daddy Sutherland? <laughs> I mean, they they've kind of made peace over the years and stuff, but like they were never incredibly like close like that. Um, I but, like Donald Sutherland. Yes, I mean, I think he's a great actor as well, and he has a great voice. But you know, I love Kiefer Sutherland's voice. Like, if you watch him in something like uh, Phone Booth, where you're literally only hearing his voice over the phone. Um, Joel Schumacher. I've seen him. Yes, yes, I've seen him in. Um, he he's done kind of like English dubs of one of my favorite anime films, Armitage Three. So we're just listening to his voice. Okay. So, you know, yeah, he, he's got a great voice and he really uses it to really invoke kind of what he has to do to kind of pull Michael in. But also when, you know, he's kind of asserting himself, really being menacing and really playing into kind of the horror elements of the film. Um, so, you know, we do kind of get to the ending also now giving us a little bit more kind of Peter Pan Lost Boys in terms of revealing Max to of course, be our kind of leader and him wanting to find a mother for his boys. He wanting to find like a Wendy for his lost boys to kind of, yeah, you know, it's, it's dark. Them into really, isn't them. It? Yes. And like, then you think back to when he first met her character, cause she was helping a, a little lost boy <laughs> who couldn't find his mother. Yes. And that immediately showed him, oh, wow, she has these great mothering skills um, and that immediately kind of drew him to kind of choosing her to be the Wendy of his lost boys and bring his boys and her boys together. And it was this whole kind of plan for him, for her to be kind of this, you know, queen with him. Um, so the mom, How you know, you, talk, we, you talked about her feeling like part of this film. And ultimately, she kind of ends up being what this whole kind of situation looms around by the end yeah. um ultimately grandpa you know forgettable you know we forget grandpa when he's when grandpa's there he's like gr such a you know memorable presence and then when he's not there we forget about him and then so having him kind of drive the car into his own house to to defeat max at the end and then give that great final line um the fact that like <laughs> He, he literally turns to them and, you know, talks about the town and says, you know what I hate about this town? Just too many damn vampires. So then he's like reveals like, and you know, the fact that like Sam and Michael have been trying to be secretive about this whole vampire thing and what's happening to Michael this whole time for grandpa to obviously live there and be fully aware because we think it's just the frog brothers reading too many comic books. And that's what puts them on to what's happening in the yeah. town. Um, above anybody else but in when grandpa says that then you kind of have to realize like everybody probably knows that that's what's been going yeah. on in the town i mean so. we, we know it's we know it's fully going on but you are right we, yeah. we, we don't recognize that the town knows exactly what's going on it is yeah. a funny final line really isn't it that, yeah that we realize and it even probably explains why <laughs> It probably even plays into that funny line that Grandpa said, that's about as close to town as I want to get, you know? Oh, definitely. 
Definitely, but it does it does it plays on the unnecessarily secretive nature of the characters mentalities in this movie. They should have just come out with it because it wouldn't have it wouldn't have ended as drastically as it ends if they'd have just yeah, come out yeah. and said what was happening exactly. because everybody already knows anyway. Yeah. Um it's uh yes, I I had a great a great lot of fun with this movie. Yay. I really did. And that yeah the 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 dark twist of peter pan as well like you say with with diane weist acting as as the wendy replacement the reluctant wendy replacement max being peter be more like captain hook really he should have a hook for a hand and wear a big hat yeah he's the villain he's not not peter yeah. pan in my eyes that's why spielberg got on the phone to richard donner and was like what have you done to peter pan i'm going to change my peter yes. pan now. i'm going to make him but i but, but i'm going to make my peter pan be a depressed man who needs to find his childhood again yeah yeah that's that's what i'm going to make my peter pan like okay you yeah. go steve <laughs> um yes no. Well, we've concluded the series, so you know what that means. Yeah. Time for no. your ranking, Morgan. Out of all of these ah, films that were terrible. brand new to you in the genre of vampire films, what is your ranking? The thing is, I say it's horrible. Is it horrible, or is this one actually kind of obvious? I think this one might actually be kind of obvious. Yeah. Out of just pure fondness, I think. Pure Morgan fondness for each of the four movies. So we've yeah. got we've got Salem's Lot from Dust Till Dawn, Near Dark and The Lost Boys, right? Ignore yes. what we've covered on the main show, please. Those bizarre yes. 70s movies. Um, hmm. We we probably have to, I, a, a fan of all four of the movies, very much so, and four very different styles of vampire movie as yeah. well. I have to put Dusk Till Dawn at four, purely okay. because it's more than just a vampire movie. Okay. Yet it, that also makes it less than a vampire movie you know there's there's okay. there's really half there's half a vampire movie and it, 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 it only wants to be half a vampire movie that's its yeah, big it's point. Like, yeah yeah um however it's just kind of one it's just a, a siege there's not much else going on vampiric wise yeah, than it just yeah it's kind of on aliens. the run movie that then turns into a vampire action movie at the end you know so as a move as a movie, I probably prefer it. I prefer it, sorry, I prefer it more as a movie than I do as a vampire movie. A vampire movie specifically. Okay, that's fair. So then it has to be Salem's Lot at three. A movie I really okay. do like, but just doesn't have for all its its really wonderful paced build up that that I got, got so under my skin over its three hours because it was just so wonderfully subtly built up really really well. It just didn't have enough of a punch at the end. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, as much as I did like it and, and the whole the whole atmosphere of Salem's Lot, I, I really did enjoy. But I have to put that at three, which means I have to go for this at <laughs> two and near dark at one. Okay. Okay. And that is purely because I am fonder of nastier horror, I think. Yeah. And I am fonder yeah. of something that makes me go, ooh, that's a bit much. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to watching. grittier, darker. Yeah. But I can't, I can't not, I can't not love this movie. I can't not love this movie. I think it would have been much closer had they 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 gone full with that full brain braid. scene. <laughs> okay. With the Lost Boys. Gotcha. It's very good. It's very very. Sad the Saxman didn't sell it for you, but you know. <laughs> Which Saxman? Which Saxman? John Saxon ends up right at the bottom, and and the other Saxman. <laughs> Ends up number in second two. place. Number two. Yeah. <laughs> well, there we go. I think Janine for yeah. this episode of Morgan hasn't seen and this series of Morgan hasn't seen. We do have one final vampire season episode coming on Friday. It is our look at 1931's Dracula and Spanish Dracula. That was made at yes. exactly the same time using exactly the same sets at night in Spanish. Yeah. It's great. It's a wonderful comparative look at those two movies, those two formative vampire movies. Do we have more formative vampire movies? Unless you count Nosferatu, which you do count Nosferatu. Don't diminish Nosferatu, for goodness sake. It's 101 years old. We shouldn't be diminishing the, the, no, the fundamental nature of Nosferatu. But do we have more fundamental vampire movies in movie history, really, than Dracula? And I'll give Spanish Dracula that as well, even though it's underseen still, I think. Um, it's just... Everybody thinks about Lugosi. What do you do when you do an impression of a vampire? You do an impression of Lugosi. Yeah. So he's, he's just ingrained within us. I'm very much looking forward to that episode. It is coming this Friday on It's a Wonderful Podcast. You can find It's a Wonderful Podcast, the It's a Wonderful Podcast feed on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For this show, Morgan Hasn't Seen, and the main show, of course. We also have the YouTube channel. It's a wonderful podcast on YouTube. Subscribe, ding the notification bells for all the fun stuff we have over there. Uh, if you would like to support us on Patreon or donate in any way, there are links in the description of this episode um to 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 go and do that if you are feeling particularly generous we will love you forever or of course you can just find the show on twitter at it's a wonderful one find me on twitter at the purple dawn with a three instead of the e in the because Janine. three is a magic number on instagram and tiktok at the purple dawn all your lost stuff is where that did. That was terrible. <laughs> uh, you can find me at Janine Devine underscore on Twitter, Janine Devine on Instagram and TikTok and Threads. If you want to get any merch for any of our shows, you can find the description in 
the link in the description. And uh, or you can search It's a Wonderful Podcast on teespring.com. And if you want to purchase any of my art and print form, you can find that at my big cartel shop, g9design.bigcartel.com. Uh, I'm going to give you a choice, Janine. You can either sing one of the songs from the soundtrack or try a kefir. <laughs> oh, gosh. Those are both terrible choices. <laughs> Why are they terrible? They're not terrible. <laughs> Great choices. <laughs> Thou shalt not kill. Bye.